everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast with me, Phil Kittramelides, and Dr Sid Lowe. Hello, Sydney. Hello. Uh, it is raining. Yeah, quite hard as well. Yeah, it's just, well, it's just stopped a, a little bit. It was lashing it down. We are in the Podmobile, so if you do hear uh, the patter of rain, hopefully it adds to a little bit of the ambiance and <laughs> makes it a little bit more <laughs> atmospheric. Um, where's your jacket? You're not wearing a jacket? No. You know, it was literally out the house into the car into here. I mean, I didn't actually have to go outside very far. Okay. Barely a couple of metres. Well, I worry about you. you know, I don't Thank you. Get That's cold. very kind, yeah. I don't need to get chills. Yeah. That means, you know, you won't be able to go to any games if you've got a chill. That would be very bad, wouldn't it? You didn't go to any games this weekend, did you? No, nope. unfortunately didn't get accreditation for Atletico Madrid against Real Madrid. I am going to Atletico Madrid against uh, Athletic Club on in midweek yeah. when at last everyone will have played the same number of games and will have a much better sense of where this league table really lies. There will be no more asterisks. There will be no uh, asterisks. Yes. Is asterisks is a real word? Asteri? Asteri. Uh, (laughs) uh, There is uh, actually an incredible amount for us to talk about. Yeah, Uh, loads. We have the the Barcelona presidential election, Juan Laporta, elected last night by an overwhelming majority, uh, once again, uh, to be the Barcelona president. We've also got the Matchday 26 results to uh, talk about, not least the Madrid derby, which saw Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid draw 1-1, and Barcelona record a very important 2-0 victory at Osasuna. Um, but yeah, let's kick off by talking about Juan Laporta, who uh, received uh, 54% of the votes. The other two candidates, Victor Font, got uh, 29.9% and uh, Tony Frazier getting 8.58%. Obviously, Juan Laporta, previously in charge of uh, Barcelona um, from 2003 to 2010, won quite a lot. Yes, yeah, a fair bit, yeah. Signed some important players. Uh, but fell out with uh, with a lot of people. Um, firstly, why do you think he won so convincingly? I think you can start the analysis in part um, with his result and Victor Font's results together. Right. Uh, and, and to look at it maybe from the point of view of how few votes Tony Fraser got. And obviously, on one level at least, this is entirely natural, that we saw an overwhelming rejection of any idea at all of continuity. Because I think, broadly speaking, um, you can see Victor Font and um, and Joanne Laporta as occupying more or less the same ideological space in terms of that kind of sense of the great divide, if you like, at Barcelona. Now, I think up to a point, it's wise to, to avoid that analysis or that simplistic analysis, or, or at least avoid going... You know, going too far down that that route, not least because Tony Fraser was trying to talk about you know marrying what he referred to as Cruyffismo and Nunismo, which of course was traditionally the divide, which then ended up kind of being Rossellismo and Laportismo. Right. Even though those two, of course, came to power together, so yes. so there's always a chance for it to split slightly because there's a whole series of. Um, kind of fault lines in the Barcelona elections there are broadly speaking right and left there's broadly speaking um, Catalan independentist against unionist there's broadly speaking ideas about um, about Cruyff's role in, in what Barcelona symbolises and so on but but I think what we saw was two candidates who between them got what was it 92% of the vote was it mm. 8% in the end that Fraser got and so yeah. it's an, an overwhelming rejection of any sense of continuity, even though Fraser tried to even... Even he was trying to claim he wasn't a yes. continuity candidate. So that's the first thing. Now, obviously, on one level, that's entirely natural, but, you know, it's a very conservative constituency, the Barcelona voters. More than 50% of them are over 50, for example. Um, so this is a, a huge mandate for change. 
within that, I suppose the next question becomes, okay, but why was it divided so heavily in Laporta's favour over Font? I think this has been a slightly strange election campaign in that for, for a long time, Font was kind of the candidate for change and Laporta hadn't even thrown his hat into the ring yet. And I think Font was broadly really quite welcomed, I think, by a lot of people and by a lot of people who would have ended up voting for Laporta. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, Laporta, I think, timed everything very well. I think he was very cautious about when he finally announced. I think he announced at a point at which he let lots of other people, not burn themselves, but but sort of tie themselves a little bit, let their message be kind of a bit too heard. I think that's one of the reasons why Laporta was probably the most upset of all the candidates at the whole process being prolonged because of the pandemic. I think he was hopeful that it would be in make a splash, make a noise, elections, win, great. As it turns out, he held on anyway. And I think one of the reasons why that happened was that Font's campaign was kind of bizarrely accident-prone. Um, he doesn't have the charisma that Laporta had, we, has, rather. We know that anyway. But it Not wasn't many ju- people do. No, exactly. Because Laporta is fabulously good company. He's very, very charming. You know, you know, slightly sort of, um, I don't know what you'd call it, Blokish, old-fashioned sort of way, maybe. I was going to go for slimy, but you know, <laughs> that's one way of putting okay. it. Okay, um, but but he has that charisma. There's yeah. no doubt about that. And Font, to be honest, doesn't. Mm. And, and actually, I think if you look at the the, the program, the basic, as I say, the basic ideological position is not massively different. I think Font had built very carefully a program which I think most people could get behind. But one of the things, of course, that went really wrong for him during the campaign was that once Laporta had announced his intention to stand. Some of those people who were supporting Font sort of either drifted away or went very quiet. And in particular, of course, we're talking about his main figure, which was Xavi Hernandez. Now, I think and also Geordie Cruyff. And also Geordie Cruyff. And Xavi was the, was the first one and then, and then yeah. Geordie Cruyff was the next. Now, they were, if you like, the, the heart of Font's campaign. And then once Laporta had announced, it was like they... I don't know if they were determined to come in with Laporta or if they were determined not to close doors themselves in case Laporta won. Or if they just thought... I don't want to be seen to be standing against Laporta, who is someone who I broadly, ideologically, believe in. It was basically that gif of Homer Simpson walking back into the hedge. Yes, it, were, it really was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and so there was this moment where the, the, the kind of, if you like, the structural basis of Font's campaign didn't exactly crumble in front of him, but it was sort of taken from him. The, uh, there was this kind of weird battle for ownership yeah. of Chavi and of Cruyff, um, who, for what it's worth, I think absolutely would have turned up at the club if Font had won. And I think we'll turn up at the club absolutely now that Laporta's won. Well, that leads to my next question. What do you think is going to happen now? Well, I think um, we've already seen one of the appointments. Uh, forgive me, I've forgotten the guy's name. But the, the essentially the CEO of Media Market, is going to, who's been working in Germany, is going to be, um, I think, the director general that, right, that okay. Laporta's brought in. Um, I must admit, if only because I really hate Media Market's hate adverts. Oh. I, I've, now, I've now turned against Laporta on yeah. the basis of this. Um, Jordi Cruyff will come in. I think Xavi will come in soon. I think one of the things that, that was made very clear to me when I went to see uh, Laporta whenever it was, four weeks ago or whenever it was now it feels like quite a long time not so much by him but by the by the people working with the backroom staff was that the timing of this election was really bad not because of the prolonging but because of it was due to be in when it was due to be in midway through a season after a transfer window is closed you can't do anything when you've got a manager and players in place so you're not going to suddenly come in and change everything no so the starting point is see this through to the end of the season. Why? Because you don't want to annoy players because you depend on them. You don't want to devalue players because you maybe depend on selling them. And you don't want to cause a stir that rebounds against you. In other words, you don't necessarily want to be starting talking about names. 
Um, so I think the focus will be on the structure first. So bringing Matteo Alemain in and making him, getting him in place, getting him up and running. Um, Jordi Cruyff. I wonder what will happen with Xavi because I don't know about you, but I've always wondered if the Qatari World Cup is a cut-off point for him. If he has some particular role to play there, um, whether it's maybe even their national team manager, I, don't, I honestly don't know. Yeah. Um, and then Barcelona becomes the next step. I also have wandered all the way through this whether Xavi really wants to coach Messi or not or whether that becomes if you like the beginning of the next wave or the next generation okay. and of course Messi's decision is vital for Barcelona because it conditions everything and so that's the next step what happens now now the early signs are as we anticipated uh, and this is you know based on little snippets of information rather than anything big that Messi would have wanted Laporta to win. Mm. Um, the response he voted it, for the first time ever. He did vote, um, and that has been interpreted, I think, with some justification. Although maybe there's a little bit of reaching going on, yeah, um, as as a very good sign because it says this is a man who, at the very least, has some um, commitment to Barcelona's future. If not necessarily playing for them, but certainly as a member and takes it seriously enough to go and vote. All Barcelona players have a have a vote. All yeah, and but not all of them went. No, and obviously, you know, Messi chose to go and vote. Now there's one or two ways there's a hundred well there's a hundred ways of, of interpreting it but there's one or two key ways of interpreting one is he cares enough to go and vote two is he wants to estenificar the fact that it, what do you call that in English um, right. make a point project, of, yeah, yeah project yeah. make a point of of caring enough to go and vote and I think both of those two things are quite significant okay listen if you've got any more questions uh, about this and I'm sure you do send them to us and we'll answer them on our Q&A podcast over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP if you're not a patron already come and join us there's 1,400 people over on our community at patreon.com uh, from as little as 5 euros a month get access to top quality uh, Spanish football analysis top quality? A, well uh, you know in the broader in the looser sense of the word um, top quality Spanish football analysis daily uh, at Patreon com forward slash TSFP. Uh, we're going to move on and talk about what happened on uh, match day 26. Here are the results. The Friday night game was a big one and a big result uh, for Valencia who scored two late goals to come from behind and beat local rivals Villarreal by two goals to one. Villarreal now eight matches without a victory. Uh, a really big win for uh, Valencia who had been thrashed the weekend before by uh, Getafe. Uh, Saturday saw a, a very important victory for Valladolid beating Getafe by uh, two goals to one. Elche uh, recording uh, one of uh, well, their biggest win of the season beating Sevilla 2-1 at home it was a much changed severe side mm. given that they have Champions League commitments this week but nevertheless it has been a very negative few days for Julian Lopetegui's side Cadiz uh, producing another important win at the bottom of the table beating fellow strugglers Eibar by a goal to nil and Osasuna losing 2-0 at home to Barcelona uh, a game which saw the first goal scored by uh, Elias Moriba in a a Barcelona shirt. A fantastic goal it was to another youngster coming through at Barcelona. Uh, then on Sunday we saw the game of the season so far as uh, Wesco were beaten 4-3 at home by Celta Vigo. Problem was, not many people were paying too much attention to that no. because it was just before the Madrid derby which was the big game of the weekend. Atletico Madrid uh, drawing 1-1 with Real Madrid, both goals being scored by the respective centre-forwards of the sides, Luis Suarez and Karim Benzema. Benzema's goal coming three minutes from time, so a very important equaliser for them. La Real beating Levante 
By a goal to nil, uh, they had 25 shots, La Real. It could genuinely have been six or seven Well, nil. when you see the chances, well, they're incredibly I mean, clear chances. It's not just 26 yeah. shots from all over no, the no, place. It, it's all inside the six-yard box, pretty much. They could have easily <laughs> won this game six or seven nil. I think the XG is a five and a half, something like wow, that. Wow, so, OK. Yeah. Um, and then the game that you were commentating on the radio, Athletic Club beating Granada by two goals to one. The um, Monday night game is Betis against Alaves. So, uh, uh, to the talking points, Atletico Madrid won, Real Madrid won. We said pre-match that a draw wouldn't be a disaster for either side. Um, it means, and that was very much the feeling, I think, once you heard the, the Real Madrid camp after the game, Zinedine Zidane, Karim Benzema came out and after the game, they all said, listen, we're still alive. This is an important result for us. We're still there. We're still alive. I think that's why it felt like... I think a draw in different circumstances would have felt like a good result for Atletico too. I think a draw in these circumstances doesn't because... Um, they probably should have put this game out of sight um, because of the just the, the if you like the, the basic numbers of you concede a goal in the 88th minute and, and that hurts um, and, and Marco Llorente said that after the game and I think there was a sense that remember we talked about this um, on Thursday I think of, of you know Real Madrid being that terminator that's hanging on the back of your bonnet at uh, the back of your bumper yes and you, you just bastard just won't die and I think I think that's how <laughs> Atletico Madrid feel about this and this was an opportunity to to more or less put them out of the title race now obviously nothing is certain but it would have been eight points of a game in hand maybe that's 11 and then you think well that's probably done you know that's probably Real Madrid out of the title race 11 points with what would be 12 games left um, that wasn't the case and it was only three minutes from time I think that Simeone actually summed it up really really well he was asked after the game how he felt about, about this. And he said, well, there are two ways of looking at it. And he's absolutely right. He said, one is the fact that they score in the 88th minute with what was only really their second chance. And he said, but then the other is you look at the performance. And I thought the performance, this is him talking, not me, although I broadly agree with him. The performance was excellent. We controlled the game. We, we created more chances than them. We were the better side. And, and, and I, think he's, I think he's right. Um, For the first 70 minutes, maybe. Well, uh, Simeone, Simeone took issue with this, and I must admit, I'm slightly on his side. Okay. Not 100%, but slightly on his side. And he said, he said, people are talking about it as if it was an hour or 65 or 70 minutes. He said, but it was 80. He says, it's, it's, it's 80th minute when Oblak makes that double save from Benzema. Yeah. And that is the first real chance they had. And I think I broadly would agree with that. There's a couple of sort of, there's a back post header from that show, which really isn't, isn't much of a no. chance. Admittedly, of course... There's the there's the big big penalty shout in the first half, which uh, let's just get this out of the way at the top. That's a penalty. Yes, in my opinion, that is absolutely a penalty with the rules the way they are. Whether or not the rules should be the way they are, that's another question. But for me, that's a penalty. Um, but if you looking at it in terms of the analysis of the play, I, th- I think Simeone is broadly right. Um, I, I think in a way the difficulty thing from from Atletico's point of view is that this kind of sort of feels like it's just what always happens and it feels inevitable. And maybe that's unfair. It did really feel inevitable. It though, sort that, of that, did, that, didn't that it? Equaliser. I mean, I'd, I'd said to you that this has, I, got, this has got late Madrid equaliser written all over it. Let, let me take issue a little bit with you and, 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 and Simeone and the mm. fact that, yes, that chance didn't come until the 80th minute, but it was building. There was a sort of a crescendo of There was a little bit. And, and yet, and yet I still sort of felt like Atletico sort of had it under control. Um, I personally think that the the, the I, I think they make personally I think you you see the the introduction of Saul and Jal Felix yes. very little. Yeah, I have said this before, and it's not about Atletico Madrid, but so let's talk about it in conceptual terms. Even though on this case the concrete example is Atletico Madrid, right? Very late defensive changes when you take off someone and put someone else on who doesn't play in the same position. 
that are designed to shore you up so often rebound against you. I would rather have a tired player who's got the pace of the game in his mind and knows exactly where he's playing than sending on an extra defensive player who comes on the pitch and takes up a position that doesn't really exist because everyone else has been playing in a different way, who then therefore creates a positional uncertainty amongst everyone else and needs to get into the game. Uh, The amount of times we see that backfire against teams and Kongdobia came on, Mm. theoretically, to close everything off and he's the one who, and forgive me for saying this because it's not often that that I'm directly critical of individual players because I've always said a million times and I continue to say it, these guys are just unbelievably good. He's really weak on the goal. Mm. Really, really weak on the goal. And in a position where, of course, because he's gone on to occupy a position that hadn't been occupied by anyone else or that is now occupied by him, he, of course, effectively moves other people out of the way. It's not his fault, but, you know, here's an extra defensive player. So the players around him who were there are sort of standing in slightly different positions. And then he managed it very badly. Um... I, I thought it's worth. I thought for 65, 70 minutes, let, you know, let's sort of put the balance somewhere between okay. 60 and 80. I thought Atletico Madrid were, were excellent. I thought they were so superior to Madrid. I was really genuinely shocked by how much better they were. I mean, obviously, I was watching out work at Real Madrid TV, mm. and I tell you, the first half, the first half. It was completely dominant, wasn't it? People were just like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I mean, it was it was the use of the ball. It was then the tra- we're talking a lot about the ref as well. Of yeah. course, yeah. yeah, it was the use of the ball. It was the tranquility with it. Tranquility is that a real word? Why do I always do this from tranquility? Well, calmness. It's yeah. tranquility a word though. It is, it's isn't it's it? literally a word, but no one ever uses it's it true. in a football in context. It's, it's true. Right. It's more like even in a spa, yeah, in a spa, <laughs> which is the very wellness. Much isn't. Yes. In the wellness, the mindfulness yeah. of yes. Atletico Madrid in the first half. Yes. I thought they 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 dominated possession. They moved it really well. Their touch was good. Their, their positioning they were excellent I think Madrid came out in the second half with a very different mindset and it looked like it was going to change but then Atletico had three good chances in a yeah. row and blew all three of them and the, the Correa one is almost as bad as his miss at Levante yeah I mean potentially it might have been half a finger offside which is the only thing that I, 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 I must admit I hadn't even contemplated the, that potentially Did but yeah it was Simeone, awful Simeone <laughs> afterwards said he'd been um, blinded by the lights Disney New Heights. <laughs> He'd been looking up at the oh, floodlights as the ball dropped. He'd been blinded right. by it. Um, Courtois, as usual, makes a great save. I thought it was a really, really interesting game. And I thought Llorente uh, probably said it quite well afterwards. He said, look, it hurts to yeah. lose like this. He said, but if we do play like this, yeah. not many games will escape us between now and in the season. And he's yeah. right. You felt Casemiro was Real Madrid's best player? I think Casemiro is Real Madrid's best player. Even though I think Benzema is wonderful. And, and, and in a minute, we'll talk about the goal itself because the sequence is really interesting. Casemiro, I looked this up earlier, five league goals this season. Three of them the opening goal and two of them winning goal. He never scores a goal that doesn't matter. In games when they're struggling, he's the one that rescues them in Gladbach against Bruce Schumann and Gladbach. He is the one that holds them together defensively, but then so often turns up when it really matters at the other end. I think Casemiro is... It's weird, this, because I watched this game and I thought, this is a classic Madrid performance in that the three players who sustain them... Yeah. front page of Ass today was um, Benzema sustains Madrid. I think yeah. actually it's three men that do. Casemiro, yeah. Courtois, yeah. who makes at least one brilliant save every game, basically, or almost every game, and, of course, Benzema. Now, that sounds incredibly harsh because I think Tony Cruz and Luka Modric are wonderful footballers. But the weird thing about them is they kind of make you play well more than they win you games, if you sort of mean. Although Cruz's yeah. delivery from set plays is yeah. really, really, really important. But those three players, I think, you know, if, if Madrid didn't have Casemiro, because Fede Valverde is a great player, but he doesn't play that kind of role. I, I think Casemiro is massive. Really, really massive for them. Mm-hmm. Um 
ask us questions on the Madrid derby if you like on, on our, for our Q&A pod I'm sure there are going to be loads and loads and loads Atleti play their game in hand on Wednesday against Athletic yeah. there's, a, there's, there's a lot riding on that there is a lot riding on that because of course that's the chance to, to put themselves in a position where the gap is I mean, if they win that they're 8 points clear exactly Madrid, you know? but only 6 over Barca though yeah. um, and, and that is big because I, th- I think we said all the way through this that we were talking about the games in hand and the points and all the rest of it so look, the question might will be is this current big gap as it was two months ago or six weeks ago or three weeks ago or even one week ago going to be maintained once they've played through these games in hand which I'm not sure are necessarily as good a thing as we thought because you have this mindset that adds those points up yeah. and you don't always add them up um, yeah. but there you go very briefly on the sequence of the goal because and we can goal? talk about the, the, the Real Madrid goal yeah. we can talk about this um, a little bit more on the Q&A if people ask about it as you know I like to work out the time between one thing happening and the yes. other and this is one of the things where I slightly want to defend Simeone or at least Atletico Madrid because there's an assumption that they sat deep and got caught because they sat deep. Now, on one level, I think that's probably true. You know, but uh, I also think it's human nature, by the way. You've got a win that pretty much wins you the league. Of course, you're going to hold on to it. And at the point at which they grabbed hold of it is when they let go because they invited Madrid onto them. And yet the goal itself comes from Saul and Suarez trying to win them the game and making that counter-attack. From the moment that Sal loses the ball deep inside Real Madrid's penalty area to Real Madrid scoring is 29 seconds. Um, the ball gets cleared. There's a couple of there's one wild tackle that Fede Valverde rides and he plays it out to the left. And the move is going nowhere until Benzema just. I mean, uh, I watched it again this morning. I just, he just enlightens everything. So he gets the ball on the right. He steps away from one challenge really smoothly, and he just plays a pass that's not particularly clever but that just suddenly opens everything. And then what does he do? He follows his own pass to get it back. He basically begins, continues and finishes the move. He gets it back on the edge of the area. He's got Casemiro running past him, who, by the way, has come from his own penalty area into the box. At that point, as I say, I think both Koki and Kondobi are weak. But that little two-footed bit of skill on the edge of the area from, from Benzema in the pass, it's just brilliant. really is. It's a brilliant goal. It really, it really is. Um, the Atletico Madrid goal was nice as well. It's a fantastic goal. I mean, and, that finish. You watch it again, and Suarez kind of contorts his body. Yeah. He, he doesn't need, his body's in the sort of all the wrong shape to be able to do the outside of the foot thing and bend it past Courtois. Yeah. It's a brilliant, brilliant finish. And by the way, it's a combination that's really going to be significant. And I think this is one of the reasons to be cheerful for Atletico. The return of Trippier really matters. And that goal was Trippier to Llorente to Suarez. And that three-man combo... Mm has been really important all season and I think between now and the end of the season will be really important. Although, I must admit, right now you ask me who's favourite to win the league, I think it's Barca. On to Barca then, who won 2-0 at Osasuna. Uh, thanks to that uh, brilliant goal from uh, Elias Moriba, that second goal which wrapped up the victory. It wasn't easy uh, for Barca. It wasn't an easy game. No, Osasuna uh, I, thought, made I thought Osasuna were very good indeed. Yeah. And Barca get uh, one goal out of well that pass yeah. the Messi to Alba routine yeah. which is, and the pass is everybody is knows it's coming and you just, you just can't still can't do it. anything about yeah. it um, and then they get the second I, I think Barcelona managed the game reasonably well considering they were up against a team that made life very difficult for them that, that caused them problems um, but I think you look at Barca's run now and you know, even when they're not playing well, they're, they're, they're winning games. And, you know, any team that's got Messi in it is going to rack up a lot of points. Eight consecutive away wins for yeah. Barcelona as well, which is very, very impressive. Yeah. Just imagine if after the season they've had, they win the double. Well, it's absolutely plausible. Yeah. In fact, right now, I would say, <laughs> I'm not going to say it's likely, but I, I, as I say, I think they're favourites in, in La Liga. How can and, they be favourites, Sid, when they're so 
so many points behind Atletico still. Because there are still, what would it be, um, 13 games left for Atletico. Yeah. They've still got to play each other. Yeah. Admittedly, Barca have also got to play Real Madrid. I wonder if we might be in a funny situation where Real Madrid do Atletico Madrid a favour for once instead of it being the other way around, which is how it's historically always seemed to be. Um, uh, there was a tweet, by the way, from Edu Polo. I don't know if you saw that. It was the first time ever that the um, Barca press room had cheered a goal scored by Real Madrid. Oh, wow. Okay. I think they got the perfect result, actually. Yeah. Because I think there was a lot of Barca fans, or Barca, I say Barca fans, Barca supporting reporters on yeah. the radio and so on, saying, we want Real Madrid to win. I don't think you do want Real Madrid to win if you're a Barca fan in that situation. I think you'd rather, A, both teams drop points, and B, yeah. that Real Madrid aren't put in a position where they suddenly think, okay, we're big now. Yeah. Because it's not just about Atletico getting away from Real Madrid, it's about how close Real Madrid are behind Barcelona as well. Um, back to talking about um, Elish Moriba and his mm. uh, impact. Obviously, he came off the bench yep. and uh, played in this game. And someone was making the point on the radio the other day that these are, these are young players at Barcelona who are getting important minutes. Yes. He came on, it was just 1-0 against Osasuna. Tough place, big, big game. And he was given responsibility and, and he really took that with, with both hands yeah um, this is one of the good things about crises crises um, become an opportunity um, obviously you know to, to, to use the old phrase necessity is the mother of all invention when you yeah. need something you turn to players and you give them the chance and you invent positions for them and you, you try and give them continuity if they warrant it and I think one of the things that Kuman's done is for a man who appears very rigid has actually been quite flexible this season in terms of he didn't want Ricky Butch and he ended up playing him not a huge amount but he did he wasn't convinced that he wanted Pedri to stay. You think at the start of the season, I think he would have rather Pedri went on loan, but he's been completely convinced by Pedri. He said, right, absolutely, you play. And then the weekend after Elish played really well and he's had three kind of quite long cameo performances and he's had a big impact in all of them. I think it's two assists and a goal, isn't it? And um, Kuman said after the game, this is, this is he's, he's a player that's taken his opportunities, that's making a case for himself and that, that, that is, is, I think the phrase he used was eating up the ground. You know, gaining gaining ground essentially on 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 his um, on his teammates for that position, and you know it is tempting to say, Ilaich or Pjanic. I mean, Pjanic is a complete irrelevance now compared to the players coming through, mm. which doesn't speak particularly highly of him, but it does speak very highly of them. Absolutely, um, Ilaich, Pedri, Ansu, Araujo, Dest, young players, Mingetha even. Mingetha and I, I, for what it's worth, I'll be honest with you. I'm I mean, not, he's 21. He's older I'm than I'm not 100% yeah, yeah. sure that Mingefer is quite of that level, yeah. but he's certainly proving to be useful. Mm. I'm, I'm still very slightly doubtful about Dest, although you know he's very, very young and has plenty of time to develop. And we've seen three or four performances from him that have been brilliant, three or four that have been not so good. Um, but that's, that's a lot of talent. Any chance they can turn things around in Paris? No. No chance? No, there is no chance. Is there? Well, I mean, look... I say no, I just suddenly had this image of them winning and everyone going, you see, you're an idiot. Well, yeah, look, no, there isn't. No, they, they, they don't need that and to, be honest, to happen to They don't actually idiots. need that to happen in a way, um, which is not to say they'll throw in the towel, but, but you notice when PK made that point in Seville yeah, about yeah. the season turning around, he did not mention the Champions League. It's true, it's true. Um, what on earth has happened to Sevilla, the other side, in Champions League action this week? In a way, I think it's partly just chance in the, I think it's four games out of five that they haven't won right that but they've lost that they've lost rather but yeah. let's look at those four out of five yeah. one is Dortmund yeah. where Dortmund have a striker who was just off the charts right. it's incredible and they were 
they didn't respond very well, but their second half was good. So I think that can happen. Even though they've been on a good run, they hadn't conceded, I think, in nine games, and then they conceded three. I think that can happen. Yeah, they hadn't conceded in seven, they'd won nine. That's right, sorry, yeah, they conceded yeah. just one in nine, hadn't they? Um, they then play Barcelona twice, so it's Barca. Yeah. So that's the context, it's, it's Barcelona. Right. right. They didn't play well in either of those games, but it's Barcelona in both cases, and they were a penalty away from going through to the cup final. Yeah. And then this weekend, you say, all right, well, this is the outlier, but this weekend is in the context of the exhaustion from the Barcelona game. I think it was nine changes from the starting 11, knowing that Dortmund's coming up. In a way, I'm never going to use this phrase and, and, and mean it literally, but I can't think of a better one. So in a way, this was a throwaway game. You know, this was the game in the middle that they just had to get through. Now, they should still perform better than this. Yes. It's still emotionally problematic for them. Yes. But I think, I think if you take those games and kind of look at them in their contexts, I think it's more understandable. That said... They probably will go out in Dortmund. I, I think the likelihood yeah. is they'll go out. The question for me now is, how do they respond at the weekend? Where, by the way, they are playing Betis in the derby. Oh! I mean, they lose that. Yeah. If they lose Dortmund and they lose to Betis, yeah. the impact of that's going to be really, really big. Well, if they do that, I think Betis will only be about three points behind Betis them. Betis will be right up behind them. Depending yeah. on what Betis do tonight against Alaves, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But if, I, th- I think they'll be level on points. If they beat Alaves and beat you might be right. I think it's six points at the moment, yeah. I think you might be right. Um, quick word on the game you did on the radio between two sides absolutely decimated with uh, injury. <laughs> well, Granada were decimated with Granada had, I think it was 13 players injured. Now, yeah. some of them actually played yeah. because they, they, they have no other choice. I was actually down in Granada last week and... Um, and they were just in a position like, we haven't got any players. <laughs> I mean, generally, we have not got any players. And they were saying to me, you know, the, the guys that are going to play were included, like, when they went away, remember they had the, the COVID crisis and they went away to San Sebastián to Real Sociedad early yeah. in the season. And I think five players got their debuts that weekend. Yeah. I think four of those five are in the squad this weekend because right. they, they just had sort of no one. Yeah. Um, admittedly against an athletic side who I think also made, I mentioned this with Sevilla, made nine Yes. of the 11 9 of the 11 were changes yeah. in the starting 11 even in Yaki Williams didn't start um, but Athletic have something at the moment yeah. I think, I'm not sure they necessarily deserve to win this but but Bedinger and, um, and, and Morthy both played very well yeah 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 alright uh, in the Segunda Real Mallorca are 5 points clear at the top they beat Cartagena 2-1 Almeria a second they won 1-0 at Girona Espanyol are third now after their 1-1 draw with the mighty Real Oviedo mm-hmm Good goal. Brilliant goal. Do you see it? Now, well, yeah. he's too good for the Segunda. Well, I would like to think so. <laughs> I, I would like to think that means he's taking us up. Yeah. Uh, Leganes, Sporting and Rio are the other teams uh, in the playoff places. Rio still in the playoff places, uh, despite a disappointing 1-1 draw at Las Palmas. This week, uh, the Champions League, Dortmund against Sevilla on Tuesday. Sevilla trying to turn around a, a 3-2 deficit in Germany. And then on Wednesday, uh, Barca travelling to Paris to try and turn around a 4-1 deficit against PSG. There is also La Liga on Wednesday. It's a really big and important game. It's Atletico Madrid's game in hand. It's at home to Athletic Club. You will be there, which is fantastic. Uh, coming up at patreon.com forward slash TSFP this week, we'll have our usual Q&A pod on Tuesday, a bonus pod talking Champions League and La Liga on Thursday, and a new episode of our latest TSFP Presents series called Sliding Doors on Friday. Those sliding doors moments of Spanish football will be discussed discussing them in depth so make sure you come and join us at patreon.com forward slash tsfp if not don't worry it's okay we'll be back here next monday adios cheerio